So I want to invite the ushers to come forward for this morning's offering, and the offering is going to be a little different today than normal. Uh, normally, we would have a musical offering. Today, we're going to have a theatrical offering. Uh, my buddy Jonathan is here uh, from Mount Carmel Ministries, which is a Lutheran camp in Minnesota, and I get to go there this summer in July for a week and, and teach a week of family camp. So if your family is looking for a fun way to spend a week this summer, we'd love to have a bunch of Hope families uh, join us up there for that. Jonathan will be in the back and would love to talk to you about that after the service. He's also an actor. He has a theater troupe, a paraphrase theater, and one of the things he does is he goes around and he has sort of a one-man uh, play. It's called Witnesses, and he takes on a different biblical character and uses sort of creative drama and humor uh, to help people understand and get into some of the familiar biblical stories. One of the characters is Lazarus, so it ties right in with what we're talking about today. So... Here's Johnny. Story. You want to hear a story, huh? I'll tell you a story. I'll tell you a story. I'll tell you a story about being dead. Four days I was dead. And not just the kind of sick, not just the sort of sleeping, I was dead. It happened right here in my gallbladder, I think. My two sisters, Mary and Martha, they call for my buddy, Jesus, to come and do something over me. He doesn't come. They get so upset with the Jesus. Oh, they're always upset with the Jesus. They're always inviting him to our house for dinner. He always comes late. They say... Woo, Jesus, you're going to be late for your own funeral, boy. I don't know about that, but he sure was a late for mine. Ah. So, I get sicker and sicker. Finally, I fall asleep, and bam, I'm dead. These two fellas come in. They put all these spices on the top of me. I was like a pizza or something. Then, they wrap me up in this big bed sheet. And they say the funeral over me. I like what they say at the funeral. I don't much like the music, but I like what they say at the funeral. Then they put me into the cave. Four days. I was just getting used to being dead. I hear this voice. There's a voice calling out to me. Lazarus, come out of there. I'm thinking to myself, hmm, that voice sounds familiar, huh? I try to sit up. I can't sit up. Well, you know what it's like to have a 50 pounds of pizza spices on your stomach, eh? So, these two fellas are coming. They are on a wrap of a sheet, and they help me sit up. And I look around the cave. There's all these other dead people in the cave. There's my Aunt Maria, she's a dead. There's my Uncle Antonio, he's a dead. I'm thinking to myself, it's a good thing he just called my name. Otherwise, all these other dead people, they'd be alive too. Woo! <laughs> my Uncle Antonio, he was a six feet to five. He had a very bad temper, and I owed him $500 when he died. I'm thinking to myself, hmm, he's better off dead. Eh? <laughs> so. I step outside of the cave. 
There's all these other people outside of the cave. There's the fella from the newspaper and the Mary and the Martha and the Jesus' 12 little buddies. And they're all standing far away from me. I understand why they stand far away from me. You spend four days being dead in the cave. You don't come out smelling like a rose. Huh? <laughs> then he comes up to me. My buddy Jesus comes up to me. Jesus is a little bit shorter than me. Yeah. <laughs> he comes up to me. He gives me this a big hug. He says, welcome back, Lazarus. I say, thank you, Jesus. Where was I? He says, you was a dead. I say, I know I was a dead, Jesus. What happened? He says, I made you alive again. I say, Thank you, Jesus. He says, it's a nothing. Let's go have us some pasta. I say, a pasta with a meatball? He says, a pasta with a meatball. I say, a pasta with a meatball. I'm alive in him. Hallelujah. So... There's a lot I love about this church. Uh, one of the things I love about this church is there's a lot of people like me, they've been a part of church world as long as they can remember, but there's also a lot of people who are not like me, who are maybe new to faith, e exploring scripture, ex exploring the stories of the Bible, just trying to figure out who's this Jesus guy and what's he all about. And I actually think there are advantages to both. And one of the advantages that you have if you are new to faith is every time you read the story, it's brand new. Uh, you're reading it with new eyes, fresh eyes. You're hearing the story with fresh ears. And it's easy for someone like me to sort of let the stories become dull. And the stories to become so familiar, they actually start to lose a little bit of their power. And, and I think this is one of those stories that we're so familiar with, sometimes we miss out on the power. I mean, I'm so familiar with the story, but not once have I read through this story in John 11 and thought, you know, Lazarus kind of reminds me of an Italian baker, right? So thank you to Jonathan for that kind of fresh look. Here's the line in his monologue that stood out to me. I was just getting used to being dead. Just getting used to being dead. Lazarus gets sick. Eventually he dies. He's in the tomb for four days, just getting used to being dead. And then Jesus calls his voice, and suddenly he's alive. And I think the temptation would be to say he's alive again. What I want to suggest is after, after Jesus raises Lazarus, he's alive for the first time. After his death, Lazarus is alive for the first time. Two weeks ago was spring break. Last week, first week back at school or back at work for many of you who had some time off, I heard a story of a mom who was trying to get her daughter up and, and ready for school, and the daughter didn't want to go. Why, mom? Why do I have to go to school? Pulls covers back over her head, and the mom's trying to rouse her up. Well, why, why don't you want to go to school? And the daughter says, I'll give you three reasons why. Number one, it's boring. Number two, the kids tease me. Number three, the teachers hate me. And the mom's trying to be compassionate but knows the daughter needs to go to school. And so the mom says, well, I'll give you three reasons why you need to go to school. Number one, it's your duty. Number two, you're 52 years old. Number three, you're the principal. Get out of bed and get to school, <laughs> would you please? 
There's a guy named Anthony DeMello wrote a book called Awareness. The very first sentence in the book says this, spirituality is waking up. Read this book a couple years ago, and this has kind of been the growing edge for me, kind of personally on my journey. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What is God waking me up to? How is God opening my eyes? And I think it ties in really closely with our theme this year at Hope, to know and to be known. Sometimes people say, well, what is spirituality? What's, what's that word even mean? As simply as I know how to put it, spirituality is getting to know God. Jesus is having a conversation with a Samaritan woman at a well in John chapter 4, and one of the things Jesus says to her is, God is spirit, and true worshipers worship in spirit and truth. So we're created as men and women in the image of God. We are spiritual beings. It's not the whole reality of us, but we're spirit. And so we practice these spiritual practices. Why do we worship? Uh, why do we give? Why do we serve? Why do we gather together in community or read the Bible and pray? These practices, God engages with us and God opens our eyes. God wakes us up and we get to know God better. Spirituality is waking up. I heard somebody say one time, there's really two kinds of people in the world. There are the people who love waking up early in the morning, and then there's people who hate people who love waking up early in the morning. I don't know which category you maybe find yourself in, but if you're a morning person or not, all of us, all of us have days in our life when the alarm clock goes off and we just want to shut it off and pull the covers back over our head and stay in bed all day. We don't, we don't want to have to deal with whatever it is we might have to deal with that particular day. But spirituality is waking up, and, and Jesus is constantly calling to us, follow me, follow me, follow me. And when we say yes to this call to follow Jesus, there's going to be spiritual alarms going off all the time. Alarms that are Jesus' way of getting our attention. Alarms that are Jesus' way of helping us grow and mature as followers. Probably the biggest, loudest alarm any of us will ever hear in our life is the alarm of death. I'm a pastor. I officiate a, a lot of funerals, and I, I see this play out kind of both ways. Uh, sometimes this alarm goes off and someone's dealing with maybe their own death or the death of someone they love, and it's an alarm that, that gets their attention and causes them to say, I need to get my priorities straight. I need to rearrange my life. I've been going this way, and I need to go a different way. And it draws them in closer to God. It helps their faith grow and get stronger. But I also see it happen the other way where someone's dealing with the death of someone they love or maybe facing their own death. And it's an alarm that goes off and they just smash the alarm and they pull the covers over their head and they're done with God once and for all. I want you to think about your own experience. People in your life or situations that you've happened to go through where you know, near-death experiences or whatever it might be, how has death impacted you? How has loss impacted you? In particular, what does it do to your faith? Does it draw you in closer to God? Does it pull you farther away from God? And as you're thinking about that, I want to show you a scene from a movie called Manchester by the Sea. It's actually nominated for Best Picture this year. Uh, Casey Affleck won the Best Actor for his portrayal of a guy named Lee Chandler. And this scene we're going to watch, uh, Lee's brother Joe Chandler has died. And Lee has to return to his home, Manchester-by-the-Sea, for his brother's funeral. He's got to see, you know, all of his old friends. He has to see his ex-wife and her new husband. He has to see his 
nephew, Patrick, as he tries to navigate and understand death as a teenage boy. So be thinking about your own experience and, and what do you think and how do you understand and feel about death as you watch this scene. A lot of people I talked to didn't like the movie because it was too depressing for them, but I thought the movie was just masterful in the way it took a real serious topic matters of life and death and grief and loss, but it didn't take itself too seriously. The cell phone goes off in the middle of the funeral, right? And that's, that's just real. That's reality. That's life. Cell phones start ringing when we don't want them to start ringing, and alarms go off when we don't want the alarms to go off, and spirituality is waking up. You ever notice the biblical writers often use this metaphor of sleep when they're talking about death. Here's one example, Ephesians 5.14. Read this out loud with me. Awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead. You got to love Sharpay puppies, don't you? Was it like National Puppy Week this week? Thursday, my social media feed just started blowing up with pictures of all of your dogs, which is great if you're a dog person. I'm not so much. I got bit in the head by a dog when I was two. I've never recovered. My counselor's working on it with me. But I come to your house because you invite me over, you're nice, and hey, have some cookies and coffee or whatever, and here's this dog sniffing me in places kind of uncomfortable and awkward and licking my hands and my face, and I've, I don't say it, but I find myself thinking, how do people live like this? <laughs> Which is what you think when I tell you I have six kids. How do people live like <laughs> So whether you have cat, dog, six kids, whatever, we all have things in our life how do we live with it? Well, we just get used to it. We just get used to it. There's this line that Lazarus spoke in that monologue. I was just getting used to being dead. Lee Chandler is a man in this movie, Manchester by the Sea, who is getting used to being dead. He has a bunch of tragedy unfold in his life, some of which uh, he was the cause. And as a result, he, he basically, even though he's alive, he stops living. Moves away from town, moves away from his past, trying to outrun it, and he gets a job as a, a maintenance guy in an apartment building. He's got a one-room apartment. He doesn't even furnish it. He's eating off of boxes, and in a flashback scene, his brother Joe, the one who gets sick and dies, Joe comes to visit him and takes a look at the place, and he looks at his brother and just like, how do you live like this? I was just getting used to being dead. It doesn't make any sense, really, unless you stop and think about it. There's all sorts of things in our life that we've just kind of gotten used to, grown accustomed to. Some of them are good, okay, but some of them are not so good. Some of you have gotten used to living paycheck to paycheck, and it's not because you're not making money. You're making great money, but you've just gotten used to spending more than you make. Some of you have gotten used to a character trait, and the reality is it's a character flaw, but we make all kinds of excuses and, and defenses for it. We're like, well, I'm just an honest person. And if I offend you, I'm sorry, but I'm going to tell the truth and it's just who I am. I've always had kind of a short fuse. I've always had anger issues. It's who I am. I've, I've never been a very patient person. I've always been a bit of a worrier. It's who I am. It's how I'm wired. Some of you have grown accustomed to, you've gotten used to unhealthy relationships and maybe more accurately, abusive relationships. Some of you have gotten used to living with your addiction. And again, we, we make excuses for this. We 
try to say it's okay when we say things like, it's just the cards I was dealt, it's just how I'm wired, it's, it's who I am, and if, if you want to be a part of my life, you're going to just have to get used to it. But you notice Jesus doesn't use language like this. Instead, Jesus says things like, I am the resurrection and the life. I'm going to wake you up, and I'm going to raise you up, and we get used to being dead. And year after year after year, nothing changes. Same old patterns, same old behaviors, and we kind of wear them like a blanket. We curl up in them. We get nice and comfortable in them. We don't want to change. I'm comfortable. This is what I know. This is who I am. Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life, and we choose to stay under the covers and asleep. Why? Probably all sorts of reasons for this, but, but here's one of the reasons. You start reading through the Bible, and, and you see sometimes Jesus says things that kind of make you go, hmm, whoa, why is he doing that? There's a story in John chapter 5. There's a man who has been lame for 38 years. For 38 years, he hasn't been able to take care of himself. He's had to rely completely on the help, the mercy, the compassion of others in order for him to have life. And Jesus walks up to this man and says, do you want to be well? Another story in Mark chapter 10, there's a blind beggar. His name is Bartimaeus sitting on the side of the road. Again, he has to rely on the help, the mercy of others. He hears Jesus is walking by. He knows a little bit about who Jesus is. And so Bartimaeus cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus walks up to the blind man and he says to him, what do you want me to do for you? I don't know. What do you suppose a blind man wants you to do for him, Jesus? Why, why does Jesus ask these kinds of questions? Maybe Jesus understands something about human nature. We get used to being dead. And Jesus just wants to make sure. You know, but, but, but before he offers us any kind of help, or he wants to know what are we really after? What are we really after? There's this reading through this story, right? And it's a familiar story, such a familiar story. And the verse that really stuck out to me was verse 4. Word comes to Jesus that Lazarus is sick, and Jesus says to his disciples, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. If you're hearing that story for the very first time, you hear this in a very different way than people who are familiar with the story. If you're hearing it for the first time, Jesus says, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death, you're actually going to be surprised Ten verses later when Jesus says, Lazarus is dead. If you're reading the story for the first time and Jesus says, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death, you think Lazarus is not going to die. If you're familiar with the story, you read this verse and you're like, oh yeah, Jesus is going to raise him. The resurrection, you just skip right to the resurrection. Both ways of reading the story miss out on a big part of the power of what Jesus is after. Lazarus dies. And we skip this part of the story if we don't know it well enough or if we know it too well. Lazarus dies. Yes, Jesus shows up. Yes, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Yes, Jesus raises Lazarus, which means Lazarus' story doesn't end in death, but death is a part of Lazarus' story. You got to let that soak in a little bit. Lazarus' story doesn't end in death, but death is a part of Lazarus' story. And Lazarus has the same story as you and I. Bring it a little bit closer to home. Your story doesn't end in death, but death is a part of your story. 
This guy, Anthony DeMello, who writes this book, Awareness, Spirituality is Waking Up, he says something else that's really important for us to hear and I think hard for us to hear. Anthony DeMello writes, people don't really want to be cured. What they want is relief. A cure is painful. You've been lame for 38 years. Do you want to be well? You've been blind your whole life. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asks these questions because he understands the cure is the cross. And before he gives you the cure, he wants to, is that really what you're after? Are you really after the cure? Because if you really just want some relief, Doc, could you just make the pain go away? Jesus understands eventually you will turn your back on the cross. You will pull the covers over your head. You'll stay in bed. The cross is the cure. Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. I've got this for you, but here's the way. Here's the path to that kind of life. Lazarus has two sisters, Mary and Martha. They're the ones that send word to Jesus that Lazarus is sick, and by the time Jesus gets there, Lazarus is dead. They both say the exact same thing to Jesus. Lord, if only you had been here. Lord, if only. You ever talk to God that way? Lord, if only. Uh, these characters in this movie, Manchester by the Sea, their lives are filled with these Lord, if only moments. Lee Chandler, his whole life is kind of defined by it. He's an alcoholic. He's got a drinking problem. And early on in the movie, this, his drinking is seen as kind of a joke to his friends and mostly an annoyance to his wife. But one night he makes a tragic mistake. He's partying in the, you know, uh, man cave with his buddies till two o'clock in the morning. And finally the wife comes down and she's had enough. Get out of here. Grow up, you know. And so his buddies leave. And Lee wants one more beer, but he's out of beer. So he decides he's going to go to the store at 2 o'clock in the morning to get a six-pack. Throws a couple of logs on the fire before he leaves. Goes to get his beer. He comes back. The house is in flames. And his wife has been pulled out, but his two daughters have been killed. And it just shatters everything. In her anger and in her grief and in her questions, she divorces Lee he becomes dead man walking. He wishes he was dead. He goes and isolates himself in, in a new town, trying to forget his past, trying to escape his pain, trying to drink it away. He becomes even more of a drinker. Every night goes to the bar until he's hoping to drink the pain away, and that doesn't work. And so he gets into bar fight after bar fight after bar fight because when he's beaten up physically, it numbs the emotional pain. And then his brother dies. He has to go back for the funeral, and then he finds out his brother Joe has actually, in his will, asked Lee to be the guardian of Patrick. And so Lee wants to do right by his dead brother. He wants to be there. He wants to change things, change direction. He's working hard. He's trying and trying and trying so hard to fix everything that's been broken, but the harder he tries, the less successful he is. And then one day, he runs into his ex-wife, and they have a conversation that brings all of this pain to the surface. And it's, a, it's this kind of tragic reminder to Lee that he has lost something and he is convinced it cannot be replaced. Take a look. 
I don't have anything big to say. It's okay. Just. I know you've been around, and I. Well, I've just, I been, just been getting Patrick settled in. It seems like he's doing pretty good, huh? Considering. I think he is. Yeah. I guess you don't know this, but I. Uh, I really kept in touch with Joe. It's no, been kind of weird that. for me not seeing Patrick. Oh. oh okay. I, I didn't know. Uh, you could see him if you want. Could I... we ever have lunch? You mean us, you and me? Yeah. Um, because I, uh... I said a lot of terrible things to you. No. But I... I know you never... <laughs> Maybe you don't want to talk to me. It's not that. Okay, but let me it's finish. Not... However, my heart was broken. It's always going to be broken. But I know yours is broken, too. But I don't have to carry. I said things that... Randy, no. I'm just sorry. It's, it's, I, I can't I can't... I love you. Maybe I shouldn't say that. No, you can say that. <laughs> it's just... I'm, I'm sorry, I've got to go. We couldn't have lunch. I'm really sorry, I don't think so. I thank you for saying everything that you, you said. You just die. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. I, I'm not I, I'm, and I'm... Honey. I, I want you to be happy. Honey, and I, I see and you I, walking around here. And I, I just want to tell you. I would want to talk to you, Randy. Please. Please, I, 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 you gotta, I... Please. Um, I'm, I'm, Lee, I'm you gotta. You know, I don't know what. No, I don't want to torture you. You're not. You're not torturing me. I just want to tell you that I was wrong. Was, no, no. You understand? There's nothing. There's nothing there. There's nothing That's there. That's not true. There's That's nothing, not there's nothing true. There. No. You don't understand, and I don't I'm know what to say. I know you understand. I, 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 I've got to go. I'm sorry. <laughs> i
seems to me when Mary and Martha say to Jesus, Lord, if only, it's a prayer for Jesus to fix things. And when you and I say to God, if only, whatever our if onlys are, it's a prayer for God to fix things. And the good news is we have a God who's in the business of fixing things. Yay! The good news is we have a God who's in the resurrection business. The good news is we have a God who takes things that are broken and repairs them, restores them, redeems them. And the good news is we have a God who cries with us, who weeps with us, who has tears stream down his face, and then he says, I am the resurrection and the life. The bad news is resurrection always follows death. You start reading through the Bible, you see it all over the place. The cure 
fixing it requires death. I want us to read some of these passages together just to let this sink into us. Read this with me. God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. That's Ephesians 2. Here's Colossians 2. Read this with me. You were dead because of your sins, and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ. One more from Romans 6. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Paul writes these letters, we call them books of the New Testament, they were letters originally, to churches. He writes this to people who are alive, and he says, you're dead, but God wants to give you life. That's why I say when, when Jesus raises Lazarus, he's alive not again, but for the first time. He sees things differently, he knows God differently, he understands things differently, and God wants to do the same thing for you and for me. We had nine baptisms this weekend, I think. It's a beautiful reminder. We have to die to something. You all have something you need to die to in order for God to raise you to new life. Every time we gather in this room and we see this cross, it's a reminder to us that Jesus has some questions for us. What do you want me to do for you? Do you want to be well? Because he can fix things. He's got the cure. One more verse. Galatians 2, verse 20, read this with me. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The cross is the cure. The cross is the place of death, absolutely. But it's also the place of hope and healing and restoration and life. Would you stand with me? Let's, let's pray and then we'll sing a song together. Lord, wake us up. Open our eyes. Don't allow us to get used to being dead. Help us hear you calling our name. To wake up, to rise up, to come out of the tomb. To celebrate the life that you have. You are the resurrection, the life. You call us to follow you to deny ourselves, to pick up our cross and follow you. No turning back. Help us to mean that as we sing it now in Jesus' name. Amen.